0: Chapter twenty eight of Murder at Bridge This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. according by Nicole Carl, Saint Louis, Missouri, october two thousand seven. Murder at Bridge by Anne Austin Chapter twenty eight. I fail to see any necessity for all this secrecy and hocus pocus. District Attorney Sanderson protested irritably, Why the devil don't you come clean and give us the lowdown, if you have it, on this miserable business instead of high handedly summoning Captain Strawn to my office so that you can give orders to us both? Before Dundee could answer, Captain Strawn came to his assistance. I worked for this boy for a pretty near a year, Bill, and never yet did he fail to make good when he said he had a pot on to boil. If he says it will boil over this evening, provided we help him, boil over it will, or I don't know Bonnie Dundee. Sanderson scowled but capitulated. All right. What do you want? Thanks, Chief, and thanks, Captain, Dundee cried with heartfelt gratitude. First, I want to be excused from attending the adjourned inquests into the two murders scheduled for three o'clock today. OK, Sanderson agreed shortly. Second, after about an hour of routine stuff, I wish you'd ask for another adjournment t- until tomorrow, on the plea that important developments are expected today. Okay, again. Third, I'd like you to personally request the appearance of every person connected in any way with each of the murders in your office this afternoon at four o'clock, so the whole bunch will be kept together and have no chance to go to their homes or anywhere else until I'm ready for them. You can say that, owing to the illness of your mother during the investigations, you want to question everyone personally. Do you want all the servants brought here, too? Sanderson asked. None but Lydia Carr, Dundee answered. After about an hour's innocuous questioning, please invite them to accompany you to the Selim house, for that, and he Andy grinned, is where the pot is scheduled to boil over. I'd like everybody there by 5.15. "'Where do I come in?' Captain Strawn demanded, almost jealously. "'Now that you are no longer looking for a New York gunman, "'I suppose you have plenty of plainclothesmen at your disposal?' Dundee asked, "'and was instantly sorry he had reminded his former chief "'of the collapse of his cherished and satisfying theory. "'Plenty,' Strawn answered gruffly. "'How many will you need?' "'Enough to keep every person on Mr. Sanderson's invitation list "'under strictest observation until—' The pot boils over, Dundee replied. When do you want them to get on the job? As soon as they can do so, after you get back to your office. Are they to follow the whole gang clear out to the Salim house? Most decidedly. After the unwilling guests are safely within the house, your boys must guard the premises, so that no one leaves without permission. That's all as good as done, Strand assured him. "'Now, about them inquiries you asked me to make yesterday of the Secretary of the American Legion.' "'He drew a scrap of paper from his breast pocket. "'I find that John Drake, Peter Dunlop, and Clive Hammond were all in service in the blank, division "'which was held up late in January 1918 for nearly two weeks in Hoboken "'before the War Department could get transports to send him to France.' Miles, who enlisted the day war was declared, was wounded and shipped home late in 1917. He was discharged as unfit for further service, spinal operation, from a New jersey base hospital on January 12, 1918. Furthermore, Judge Marshall was in New York that whole winter of 1917-18, through 18, attached to the Red Cross in some legal capacity. He donated his services and— "'All that doesn't matter now, Captain, but thanks just the same,' Dundee interrupted. "'Now, if you will both excuse me, I've got a lot of work to do before five o'clock today. "'Dundee had not exaggerated. "'That Monday was one of the busiest days he had ever spent in all the twenty-seven years of his life. "'He began, rather strangely, by visiting half a dozen of Hamilton's hardware stores, "'exhibiting a peculiar instrument and making annoying inquiries as to when and to whom "'it had been sold.' But at his sixth port of call, success so completely rewarded his efforts that he was jubilant when he bade the mystified proprietor good day a signed statement reposing in his wallet. Two other calls, both in office buildings, took up only an hour of his time, and a taxicab delivered him at police headquarters just as the factory whistles were sirening the news that it was twelve o'clock. He was lucky enough to find the fingerprint expert, Carraway, in his cubbyhole of an office, his desk almost crowded out by immense filing cabinets. Five minutes later, Dundee sat at that desk, photographs of Dexter Sprague's dead body, just as it had been discovered on the floor of the trophy room in the Miles' home, and a labelled set of fingerprints spread out before him. "'You're sure there can have been no mistake?' he asked no chance that these fingerprint photographs were reversed when the prints were made not a chance with my system Carraway retorted positively fine dundee cried may i take these photographs you have copies i presume it was half-past two o'clock when dundee after a much-needed lunch parked his car in the driveway of one of the most splendid houses overlooking mirror lake a home whose master and mistress were now attending an inquest into two murders Half an hour later he climbed into his roadster again, his head spinning. "'Did I say ingenious?' he marvelled. He drove directly to the Selim house, for he had much to do before the arrival of Sanderson's compulsory guests at 5.15. His first visit there was to a small room in the basement, a dark cubbyhole next to the coal-room. He had locked it carefully after exploring it the day before, for he had taken no chance on leaving unguarded as he had found it a treasure worth more to him than its weight in gold. And a queer treasure it was that he extracted now, a coiled length of electric wire, which he and Ralph Hammond had measured the day before, with triumphant excitement, a box of thumb-tacks, many of them surprisingly bent at the point, an auger with a set of bits of varying sizes, a step ladder, and a hammer, If Dexter Sprague had not overestimated the amount of electric wire needed for the job of installing an alarm-bell between Nita's bedroom and Lydia's, Dundee was about to close the tool-chest when his eyes fell upon a piece of hardware he had not expected ever to find, although he had known of its existence for more than an hour. At 5.15 he was entirely ready for D.A. Sanderson, Captain Strawn, and their party of indignant and unwilling guests." oh mr dundee caroline drake squealed you're not going to make us play that awful death hand again are you they were all crowding about him the men and women who had been nita selim's guests at her last bridge and cocktail party Not only are the bridge tables exactly where they were at this time on the evening of May 24th, Dundee answered so significantly that all stopped chattering to listen, but everything else in the house is precisely as it was then. Fortunately, not even the electricity has been cut off. But to make sure I have forgotten nothing, I wish you would all follow me into Mrs. Selim's bedroom and look for yourselves. Like sheep, They crowded into the little foyer, and on into the bedroom. There stood the big bronze lamp, set squarely in front of the window-frame, and in a direct line with the musical powder-box on dead Nita's dressing-table. At five-twenty-five, Penny Crane, Karen Marshall, Carolyn Drake, and Flora Miles, who had been requisitioned by Dundee to play the part of the murdered woman, were seated at table number two, and behind Karen's chair stood Lois Dunlop. Clive Hammond and his new wife were again together in the solarium, but there Dundee's restaging of the original scene of the tragic drama ended. Everyone else, including Lydia Carr and Peter Dunlop, were huddled together in a far corner of the living room. "'Now, Mr. Miles,' Dundee called, "'Your cue! Never mind the comedy about house tricks. Simply go into the dining room with Mrs. Dunlop to mix cocktails. You'll find all the ingredients still on the sideboard, exactly as there were when Mrs. Selim sent you to mix drinks on May 24th. And, Mrs. Miles, will you, pretending that you are Nita Selim, go to powder your face at Mrs. Selim's dressing-table?' her face white and drawn, Flora Miles stumbled from the room, just as her husband, dumb for once with rage, entered the dining-room with Lois Dunlop. Dundee was about to follow the latter two when an interruption occurred. Followed by a plain-clothesman, a middle-aged man entered the living-room. Tall, broad-shouldered, determined, he strode to the bridge-table, his handsome head upflung, his brown eyes fixed upon the widened brown eyes of Penny Crane." dad the girl breathed then joyously oh dad you've come home but dundee halted the reconciliation with a stern word of command please join the group in the corner mr crane regardless of the ensuing hubbub dundee strode into the dining-room where tracy miles stood at the sideboard pouring whiskey from an almost empty decanter into a small glass "'May I drink the scotch Tracy has poured for me, Mr. Dundee?' Mrs. Dunlop asked shakily, leaning against the big round table. "'Yes, but silence, please!' he cried, as there came the first faint tinkling notes of Juanita from Nita's musical powder-box, penetrating the thin wall between the bedroom and dining-room. As I have said, the detective spoke loudly and clearly above the tinkle of music—' everything is now exactly as it was when nita selim was murdered permit me to show you all how that murder was accomplished a chair at the bridge table was overturned lois dunlop almost choked on her drink of scotch "'Women screamed. "'In a few seconds every person in the living room, "'including the district attorney and Strawn, "'was huddled in the wide opening into the dining room, "'their eyes fixed in horror upon Bonnie Dundee. "'He spoke again, his voice very clear, "'but slow and weighted with a dreadful significance. "'Mrs. Dunlop, step on the bell beneath the dining table.' "'Lois Dunlop dropped the empty whiskey glass.' "'Her face suddenly wiped of all expression. "'Step on that bell, Mrs. Dunlop, just as you did before.' "'As if hypnotized, Lois Dunlop began to grope with the toe of her right pump for the slight bulge under the rug, "'which indicated the position of the bell used for summoning the maid from the kitchen. "'With a strangled cry, Tracy Miles lunged across the few feet which separated the woman and himself, "'seized her arm and whirled her violently away from the table.' "'Do you want to kill my wife, too?' he panted, his usually florid face the color of putty. "'You! You!' End of chapter twenty-eight